Hello? Frank. Hey, Joey. How you doing, man? <clears throat> I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little on, in the fast forward zone, but I'm good. How about you? I'm doing great. Excellent. I'm not in fast forward zone at all. You're in the... Are we live? Yeah, we are, if that's cool. It, we, I, we can wait. Yeah. If, do you need to do off the record or anything? No, no, I'm good. I'm good to go. Perfect. We're here. We're starting. Um, I just want to say off the bat, um, Texas is uh, not, they killed it before, but they're, they're really killing it now. Um, with, uh, I can't wait to see what uh, REMS has been doing and ground control. I thought it was interesting that they're filming a bunch of stuff out there right now. Yeah, um, I think that that largely has to do with uh, Keaton's presence, but also uh, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people, Anthony Medina in particular, have been kind of paying their dues for a really long time uh, as far as making videos and skating and everything else that's involved. Yeah, I was going to comment um, on the on the Keaton thing. Um, that's a cool mm -hmm. development. Uh, how do, do you know? Is how it that is came... it how 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 widely? How is it common knowledge out there or not? Um, no, I'm just more of like a a nerd that tries to keep up on things, and I can't remember where I heard that Keaton was going to kind of take over. Um, maybe I don't know who he took over, but it seems like already some of the things that have been coming out and the things that I see are being worked on, um, his influence is, is important. Um, at, at ground control, you mean? Yeah, but even then... Um, it or must, elsewhere. No, his, yeah, for ground control, but there would be a reason why he must have influenced why Rems would have been out there too. Like, why would have... How do you say his name? Nils? Is it Nils? Jansons? Nils, yeah. Nils? Um, he was already out in Texas, so he was there for ground control, right? Um, yeah, that's my presumption. Although he and he and the, the, the gypsies, as they call themselves, were making the rounds through either South America or Central America or Mexico. I don't remember which. Um, and then they came to Austin and then they went to Dallas for the um uh the the uh what do you call it the um donate and skate contest <clears throat> that kevin little had we should talk about that at some point kevin that was a fantastic contest i didn't even know that existed um i thought that was stefan brando who did that originally donate and skate you're talking about like where you donate parts yeah yeah if i'm if i'm not mistaken i think that he's from north carolina maybe Stefan? Stefan? Or Kevin? Where, yeah. Uh, no, um, the guy you're talking about. I thought he was Pittsburgh, he but I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah. Well, what, what I know is that <clears throat> there's, there's a, a kind, if you'd like to kind of think of it as a chapter, um, a guy named Kevin Little, run, and he's from San Angelo, Texas, which is pretty far from Austin. It's about a three or four hour drive um, out in the sort of west northwest of here so if you imagine austin as being pretty close to the center of the state of texas san angelo is a ways out from that uh kind of at a diagonal like a 45 degree to the left uh headed northwest um 
anyway, he he's run several contests in that same vein, and we we had a he had a really good turnout. It was a fantastic contest. It was great skating. Uh, the weather was hot, but you know acceptable. Um, <clears throat> And uh, it was great. So I, I, he doesn't. He definitely doesn't run, donate, and skate. But they're still happening. And Kevin is is part of the group of people who are continuing to make it happen. And I think that they, I think that they gave away seventy five pairs of skates or something like that to kids who had some interest in getting a free pair of skates to rollerblade with. Seventy five. Wow. Um, yeah, seventy five pairs of skates. That is that stuff that people brought for the contest, or is that setups they were saving for the contest? Well, so <clears throat> everybody in Texas, for the most part, knows that Kevin does this, um, and so he he has quite a large store of stuff that he kind of accumulates uh, and keeps set aside, um, and then and then everybody who goes to the contests brings something. Um, like I, I was a judge for the contest, but I brought a pair of I brought a pair of skates to give away, and a bunch of like a whole bunch of parts, like a whole probably two two pairs of skates worth of parts, um, and then all the people who enter the contest have to have to make a contribution. That's it, it's not really prescribed, but it's kind of uh, um, you know within within your estimation what's a reasonable contribution to what you need for a pair of skates. So. A pair of frames counts. A whole set of wheels counts. Um, a whole bunch of parts counts. A whole, you know, all any any any. Ideally, you want to give a whole pair of skates, uh, so they're just ready to go in size twelve or in size seven or in whatever size. <clears throat> um, but you know, a, a, a brand new pair of sole frames is just as good. You know, if you got sole frames that didn't like the color and got a different pair, you could give them those, and that would probably count. But it's it's just it's just kind of you know uh, by your own estimation what's a fair contribution and so you have all the people who are coming to watch the contest brought stuff the people who skated in the contest brought stuff and you know there's there's a lot of parts out there you know yeah I if so it wasn't it was, so expensive to ship stuff I would have more than enough stuff to give that's just waiting here that I'm not going to use so maybe uh. Maybe I will just bite the bullet and ship it out. I don't know. I think it's great. I think I, I wish I wish that I could actually do a plug for it because uh, I wish I knew, like you know, to, to to tell people a website to go to or something like that. But as a minimum, I guess you could probably just contact Kevin Little um, from Sick Urethane, and he could probably point. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So donate and skate, and Kevin Little is the doing name. a donate and skate. Yeah. Yeah, you broke yeah. up there that last little bit, but it was uh, you con contact him okay. about doing a donate and skate. Yeah, let me um, let me try to move uh, a little bit because I think I maybe I've been getting really crappy reception. Anyway, have okay. I been clear? I, up I'm, I'm, uh, you've been a little bit bumpy. I don't know. I don't want to necessarily have the same problem that I had with uh, Todd when he was down here because we. I think probably didn't get a lot of traffic on that last podcast because uh, a, a couple of people posted that there were problems with the sound. There was like a, a sort of a popping sound that came up that wasn't the fire. Um, I told Todd I'm pretty sure it was that he left his Wi-Fi on and he didn't put his phone on oh, airplane note. Oh. 
mode. So there was signals interfering. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so I've moved closer to where my um, what do you call it? What do you call a, a modem now? Router. Router. Yeah, close to where my router is. I think that's so what hopefully, it is. Hopefully, hopefully, I'll be a little bit better. It's been solid so far. Hopefully, it doesn't affect your comfort at all, Frank. My comfort? Yeah. Were you in a more comfortable spot? Now, like outside to inside? No, I, well, kind of. I, I have a deck, and I moved um, I moved under the cover, but it's closer to... I was sort of out further out on the deck. Now I'm actually in a way more comfortable chair, so to be honest, this is a way better deal. Although I need to get my beer, so let me... Give me one second. Okay. Frank is going to get his beer right now. Um, we have a few topics that we're going to be discussing. Um... But we're going to freestyle it mostly. There's two main topics that came up that Frank wants to talk about. But um, as I know from other podcasts, there will be a lot to talk about. And a lot of side trails that will go down. Definitely. Yeah, I'm back. And that's definitely true. Okay. So do can you, you hear me? Can you hear me okay before, to get technical stuff out of the way? You can hear me just fine? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Excellent. So do you want to start... With uh, the first thing that you sent me, uh, do you want to talk about instructional videos? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. What what, what specifically uh, sparked that idea of talking about it? Um, of talking about it, I, I posted on your thing. I I guess on the on the mushroom blading web uh, Facebook the other day that the uh, mushroom blading how to the M M B HT. Oh yeah, my butt. The, literally, the saw that I encountered it as a word that was pronounced "butt." Butt. And and but um, I I I hope that that doesn't catch on for y'all's sake. But no, either well, way, it could be said that our logo. That have a, a our logo could be do uh, what? No, well, yeah, that could be interpreted as as my butt, and uh, and our logo actually looks like two uh, phalluses crossing together so um who knows so we're off the races yeah we are we really are <laughs> yeah it's actually uh from from earlier in life uh your your swivels how to and then todd's uh how to on the on the um heel roll circles was it about heel rolling or about heel rolling circles spins heel spins yeah spins okay yeah so that was the main thing, but I also am, am a, a regular on YouTube, and I watch a lot of different stuff. I watch a lot of um, I watch a lot of uh, what do you call them? Like woodworking how-to videos. Yeah. Mostly because I find them to be really pleasant. You know, like I can just sit there and watch a guy build a cabinet, and and I just it just I just find it really relaxing. Um, I also I also am a fan of watching walkthroughs for video games which are also a kind of how-to. Um, but again, they're not... The same thing with the carpentry. Like, I don't really watch it so that I can go and do it afterwards. I just watch it because I find it very calming. Um, but so I always... I, I will periodically just kind of click around on YouTube and see what else uh, it, YouTube thinks I might be interested in watching. And routinely, it'll suggest how-to skateboarding videos to me. 
And I've watched a couple of those lately and had a couple of comments on those. But um, I, I guess just kind of would I, I guess I'd really like to just kind of talk about the genre of how-to videos in general. Excellent. What? Are, what? Are, what? What? Do you? Do, does anything come up for you right off the bat? Uh, first of all, I know it's the number one searched Googled thing. Apparently, I've heard that. I haven't looked up the statistics myself, but I do know uh how to just those words followed by something uh-huh. is very mm-hmm. popular on google um and then from a, a skating perspective um i'm always interested in watching the videos if if there's a little bit of the person that comes mm-hmm. through that if it's not straight up educational um I don't watch a lot of them myself. I watched a really good aggressive mall one once on uh, uh, is it Philip sixty six where you go fakey three oh, over a spine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was mm-hmm. really really impressed with uh, how well they broke it down and they showed the dude actually learning it that day because he didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And that really mm-hmm. clicked with me, and that's I think what sparked the idea. Of us doing them, and then also I filmed some for K2, and uh, I th- I found it really interesting listening to someone uh, break down skating um, with words and trying to trying to talk about it and then showing it at the same time. So that's my experience with how-to videos. Apart from like cooking and all that other stuff, I don't really watch much of that stuff. Although I think I would benefit from it. So that's my yeah my experience okay well yeah there's there's a couple of things that 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 really seems striking to me uh and and one of the things that's that's most common um is is for people to do really exaggerated versions of what they really do when they do the trick say (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah yeah I was watching this one on on um, on skateboarding, and it was like how to do an ollie, right? Which I it had like a million hits because everybody has to know how to ollie. Um, but the guy was one of the guys was really. I watched. I guess I watched a couple. One guy was really really good, and and I thought that he was doing a pretty good job. Um, but when he was talking about, so you 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 push down on the back end of the skateboard, and then with your other foot you slide it up the board. And I think that he was exaggerating the extent to which he sort of holds his foot flat against the grip tape. You know, for so for rollerbladers, or I guess for anybody, you imagine that kind of royale position, you yeah. know? Yeah. And for us, it would be the difference between doing a royale and getting boot, or doing a royale and either doing a shifty into it or not even getting boot, which is more and more common these days. Yeah. So he... That think- we could probably do a whole separate cast on, but the point is, I think that in his mind, he imagined his soul not touching the the, the the grip tape of the skateboard at all, and he just didn't have his foot that far tweaked out. And this is while they were showing like a slow mo replay, or while he was explaining it, like uh, no, like it- he's standing there trying to do a demonstration without doing the trick. Like he's just showing you how you'll push down on the back and then you'll slide your front foot up like this. And how he's demonstrating it, I, I, I don't, I don't, he's, 
the point is merely or really just that he's exaggerating the the, the movement um, and as far as when I was younger and the rollerblading magazines had a lot of how-to's in them, you know, how to stop, how to turn, how to do a soul grind, all that kind of stuff, um, I would scrutinize the hell out of those things. Yeah. You know, I would look every little detail about what, what everything, or at least every detail that occurred to me is relevant, you know, but it just seems to me that when people are doing how-to videos, they really... Uh, very often they they over exaggerate their movements, and I thought in your in your um, how to on the swivels, uh, I thought that you did a really good job of talking about the the sort of the torso and the legs, right? Yeah. And I don't know how exaggerated that is because I haven't actually gone out and done swivels as such. Um, but I also I also liked that you talked about the hands, and I think that that's where you ended the thing. Was saying you can if you can come all the way around to fakie and have your hands in a cool way, then you look like the cool guy or whatever. Um, and and that's that's something that I think is really clever on your part to have to have noticed that somebody who's actually watching a video will wonder what am I supposed to be doing with my hands because so much of the emphasis is about feet. And I thought you did a good job too of talking about the ball, the foot, and all that other stuff. Damn. Thank you. Sure, yeah. I think that comes from uh, years and years and years of uh, watching skate videos and nerding out. A lot of the times in our early 20 weed smoking days, we would just rewind things over and over and over again and comment on the oh, hand yeah. position. And there's a great part. Uh, Eric, oh, you just about hands. Wow, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Eric Burke uh, in Under the Influence. He talks about uh, Kaylee Long in VG4 coming off of a back unity and accidentally swiveling his feet, not not doing it on purpose, like crossing them back and forth, and John Starr doing a Royale to alley-oop topsail in VG4 uh-huh. and looking back at the ledge. Just oh, uh-huh. those little oh, things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and he says, yeah, just little things like that. And he's like, uh, it's badass. He's got attitude or something. And that always stuck with me. So just him saying that made me want to notice things like head position and what people are doing with their hands. That's how we noticed um, right. Christian Rodriguez was the first waiter arm. Oh, and yeah, yeah. 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 I Which, just imagine him as holding up a video camera and pointing it back at the thing because he always came out faking. Yeah. My and, coworker. And like he was holding like a handy cam. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the way that. The way that he spread his hand out specifically, too. Yeah, it was uh, perfect to slide into the little, like, uh, hand holder thing. That's, I, I think, I mean, I'm going to attribute this to Lonnie Gallegos, but I don't know if I got it from Lonnie or somebody else. But somebody I know was friends with, maybe it was, maybe it was even uh, John Ortiz or somebody, but somebody was telling him, this was way, way back, somebody was telling Christian Rodriguez that he had bad style and that he needed to do something with his hands in order to make his style better. And I guess he just came up with that motion. And, and so he would like land and then consciously put the hand up like that. As and, if that's what would make it good style. You know, that's an interpretation by many people because I fucking found myself doing that when we were skating the box the other day. Leon still does it. 
Uh-huh. I don't know where that comes from. And it was uh, it was really big, kind of like Road to Nowhere era. So people, uh, Mike Lilly, Sean Santamaria, Mike Yeager. Yeah. They had it, but it was a more natural version. And then people would do it to kind of imitate. Or there's something about completing a trick. You just yeah. want to put your arm up. I don't know what it is. I think- well, it, it, it occurs to me that there's a lot of gestures like that that they use in comics. You know, you'll see a superhero kind of like gesture his hand at something in a way. Um, and it, it, it's, as if, it's as if there's something that needs to be communicated that you can't communicate um, in the form of comics itself. And so they kind of invent that as a way to signal the, the kind of intensity of the moment or something like that because you know there's there's other ways to signify you know intensity or whatever but that seems to be something that they've sort of come up with as this homemade solution to what might be a homemade problem in the first place i could see that um like a like you're kind of celebrating but you're keeping it cool at the same time instead of straight up pumping your fist it's kind of like the midpoint that's an interesting. That's an interesting observation too. Because uh, I have self-celebrated <clears throat> on tricks, and it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has. You have seen people do it, like John Elliott do, like a fuck yeah with a little like pump of the arm. Um, yeah. People have fingered things. It must just oh. be a natural, uh, a natural thing that happens. I think Feinberg did a double arms like straight up. Sometimes there's that celebration, like, I didn't die on that. Yeah. So both your arms go up. Right. And it's not like he planned to do that. Imagine right. if that became a thing. If if a double arm celebration became, like, a an actual just thing that people started to do. I don't think it would ever happen, but... Well, I think there's some sports where you actually do, like, in gymnastics, they do that, right? They, they hold their hands up um, to signal the beginning and the end of a whole routine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they totally do. And uh, uh, in a documentary on the history of BMX, they talked about how in freestyle BMX, people would do like a ta-da after their runs sometimes. Like not oh. not arms up, but arms out and open. Yeah, 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 I get that. That's that's interesting. <laughs> Which I don't think I've pulled that one off yet, but um, maybe I've done versions of that. Which can you can say that the Mizu... Um, is not as popular because of that's the arm position can go that way sometimes. Yeah, the double pizza, the double pizza delivery. <laughs> yes, totally. But I, I want to comment on that the aggressive mall how to video. Um, yeah. I think the importance of showing someone actually learning yeah. in the video um, yeah. was was really. Um, for someone like myself who doesn't know how to do Phillips 66, it was really beneficial. Yeah, that's that's great because right. If I think that I might have even watched that, and they had one guy who could already do it, and he was teaching it to another guy who couldn't do it. Yeah, and it was like you could see the point where he figured it out, where he was talking about you learn a fakie 180 over the spine, and then you start doing it where you grab yourself with your hand, and then you he fell a couple times on like getting used to the hand thing. And then all he needed to do was add in an extra 180. And then as a viewer, I was like, that's it. That shit looks way harder than that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think I think that 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 raises a really interesting point about about ethos. Um, that that um, is is really good. Like you 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 kind of you, you kind of implicitly trust it more when you kind of you have a you have they bring out a person you can identify with, right? So if you're looking up the how-to video to learn a trick, you presumably can't quite identify with the person who can already do it, but you can identify with the person who can't yet do it, right? Because you yourself can't yet do it. And so that's a really good kind of what I would call a rhetorical move um, to to get the audience to kind of sympathize with what you're doing anyway already. You know, you get that for free. People tend to believe you more if they like you. Um, and and so I, I think that, that that is a really good ethos move to have to present it that way. Like if if what you're saying works, then this person who can't do it should be able to learn how to do it by the end of the video. And and I think that similarly, another another ethos thing is is when you're when you're presenting, if you're the person doing the how-to, I think it's really important that you act like you care, that the people who are going to be watching this how-to actually succeed in learning how to do the thing. Yeah, having watched a lot of the skateboard ones, they get some you know big name guy, whether they're pro or whether they're the flavor of the month or whatever. But they seem really put out to be doing it. They're like, hey, you know, I'm fucking so-and-so. <laughs> and I'm going to be teaching you guys how to kickflip because, you know, that's like the basics of fucking everything or whatever. So, you know, you go up and you fucking, you know, you do this. And, yeah, I hope you had fun today. And they seem really put out, you know. And it seems like an odd juxtaposition to be pairing someone they really like uh, to do the how-to and juxtaposing that against them having a really sour attitude about the whole proceeding. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of that with uh, the how-tos in magazines, um, just the way that they were presented way back when. It, For sure, yeah. It just seemed like, yeah, you you go fast and you jump up and you put your feet in this position, you lock on, you slide, and you roll out. That's what a lot of them seem like. I remember. Right. It, um, it says a lot, though, about about uh, the genre itself of the how-to. Says a lot about us that we keep doing them. And so, on on the one hand, I think some people imagine it as something that's necessary, even if it's a pain in the ass, to sort of do do your um, do your good deed for the day or for the year or whatever by doing this how-to. But the alternative to that is a little bit more altruistic and says we really want people to learn how to do these cool things because we think they're fun. And there's a totally different level of excitement there. But it's, it's interesting to me to see that we still have this perception of the they who are out there, the have-nots who don't know how to do this stuff, and that we have to somehow accommodate them. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, did you actually benefit from any learning how to skate stuff, or was it because you played hockey that intuitively you kind of understood how skates worked? Um, well, I, I don't think that I ever watched any how-to stuff on on like how to skate because I already knew how to skate. 
But I definitely read all those articles about how to soul grind and how to topside acid soul and all that other stuff that came out in the early magazines back in the mid '90s. Um, to be honest, though, when I was when I was a kid and I lived outside of Washington D.C., uh, I still I still recall this. I was in there was a kid from from India. Uh, whose name was Rami, and he lived across the street from me, and I would go over to his house and play. This was like when I was maybe nine years old, and he was he played baseball, and I went over to hang out with him one time, and there was just this instructional video on baseball uh, going on you know, in the background, and we were going to play a game or something. I don't remember what was going on. But I remember very clearly that I glanced over at the TV long enough to see this one part and it stuck with me my entire adult life. And that was the guy talking about uniforms. And he was saying, when you, when, you, when you wear a baseball jersey, especially a real baseball jersey that buttons up in the front, it's imperative for your uniform that the buttons line up with the fly of your trousers. <laughs> and it never, ever occurred to me that those two things should line up. But in retrospect, it makes perfect sense that you would want all those seams and all those lines, you know, to, to, to match up. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting there getting ready to go to work or go to anywhere where I have to look nice and I'm tucking in my shirt, I always remember to myself, now make sure that the, uh, that the, that the you know, the lines match up. Wow. Have you found, have you tried looking for that, that specific part on YouTube? Oh. Oh, that video! I couldn't even imagine what the video was called. It was like it would have been playing on a VHS tape or a beta tape in the basement of his house. Like, I can't imagine that I could find it. I wouldn't even know what to look for. <laughs> That's so wild that they actually went through uniform stuff. That's um, one of those things, though, that I think that speaks to the genre itself. That you're talking about a group of people who want to indoctrinate into what you do. And they want to know everything about it. And it doesn't actually matter to me about baseball in, the, in this instance, but it has wound up mattering to me in my entire adult life so that I don't look like one of these, you know, sort of engineer or academic people who, like, put their button-up shirt on and the buttons don't line up so the collar button doesn't match. Are oh, you familiar yeah. with this at all? No. What? The collar button? The collar button. Okay, so you so like if you start buttoning and you're off by one, yeah. A lot of people like who who aren't really in tune with what they're wearing and what they look like won't notice. Oh shit, really? Oh my god, you should see. Oh my god, teachers, teachers that I've worked with and academics and other engineers, especially. Um, my cousin, I think, does it all the time. Like he never he never understands why his shirts don't fit and he never bothers to think about it. Because I'm sure he doesn't care that much because he's got other stuff to worry about. But you see engineers and academics going around all the time with their shirt skewed by one button. What? That's crazy that they wouldn't notice, though, um, just looking straight in the mirror in terms of like a, a symmetry to their shirt that's missing. I would presume that they didn't look in the mirror. Okay. That, that's, maybe, uh, that's maybe helpful in itself. There's probably a lot of bullshit that they don't have to deal with if they don't look in the mirror. That's that's my presumption, at least, and I, I could be wrong about that. But my 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 assumption is they know that it had to be a button-up shirt that day. They know it had to be tucked in, and that's as far as they went with the details. 
Well, I guess if no one's, if it's not hurting anybody and no one's pointing it out, um, you can cruise. You can cruise with that for a while at least. Well, I just see the thing is, I think that the other engineers wouldn't notice either. <laughs> I think that when you're a teacher standing in front of students, they all think you're an idiot in spite of, you know, the credentials that you have, and that and the simple fact that you apparently care about different things than they care about, but. Anyway, anyway, I would just I would just maintain that ethos plays a big role, and and you know ethos could equally be you know bad or be a double-edged sword if you know you go around with your shirt buttoned wrong and people think that you're an idiot because you can't button your shirt right. But I still just to finish off that thought, I think that ethos plays a big role in those how-tos, and it's an interesting idea that you know. Some people, I think you and you and Todd especially did a really good job, even with the cups of coffee you were carrying around uh, during the during the presentation. You both come across as being really enthusiastic that the viewer learn how to do that maneuver, and I think that that adds a lot to to the to the viewer's experience, uh, and may also contribute to the viewer actually going out and trying to learn your thing. Excellent. Well, we'll have to do, uh, we want to do more, um, but selfishly when we have free time just recently, we want to just skate, but hopefully, I think the next two are a uh, fakie stair ride and then a super abstract skill that Todd does where he kind of does like uh, shoot the duck and uh -huh. then grabs with his hand and kind of like turns around a three quick 360 and shoots the duck with his other foot. He calls it the kayak. So okay. we're getting into uh, him naming actual mushroom blading tricks. Um, Can I? That's great, and I I I, I want to comment on that right there, especially because you say that y'all are going to make more. Can I make one suggestion? Yeah, of course. Try as hard as you can always to avoid rollerblading jargon. Oh yeah, did we say any in the last one? I'm trying to think. Um. um I'd oh, just, have to watch. I'd have to watch one again. But just, things just like tweaking. Okay, yeah, tweaking. The word tweak. <laughs> right, like that means something to you and me, but to somebody who doesn't already speak our language, uh, tweak like tweak what? You know, tweak, yeah. what does that mean? It, like people use tweaking to mean wigging out on drugs. You could also say you tweaked your ankle, and you mean you sprained your ankle. Yeah. And so if you're suggesting to people that they tweak their feet or tweak their motion or their movement, there's any – there's it, 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 the, the, the point is it's not in the cases where they hear it and could put something else in, right? So if you hear the word tweak and you think, ooh, I could tweak my ankle and that sounds bad, but here they're telling me to do it. I'm talking about the totally other scenario where you name a word and they don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um... In one of the skateboarding ones, uh, the guy was talking about how when he does the ollie, he sort of like pushes his feet forward in this kind of exaggerated gesture in the air. And and he didn't really describe it or, or really explain it much, but he said, your feet will kind of bone out a little bit. Oh, bone out, yeah. I don't think and I would... Like, that would make sense to no one if you weren't already familiar with that kind of that kind of idea bone out so <laughs> so all my suggestion is I thought that you did it you and Todd both did a great job 
of talking about using using nor like the ball of your foot, and then you went and explained, uh, if I remember right, the ball of your hand is like this one, so the ball of your foot is like this one, so it'd be in your second wheel, you know, all that stuff. Totally fantastic, and there's no jargon in there. There's no words in there that someone's going to hear and not already know, you know, without speaking rollerblading. Yeah. I, I if you speak English, you ought to be able to understand all the words. I bet it gets dangerous um, if you were to try and do specific grinds. It would be really hard sometimes. Well, now, there's, there's, there's a separate thing, though, because if you're going to presume grinding, then you can also, I think, presume certain other things, like this person is is giving it a go at rollerblading, or they're a rollerblader and they're just watching to see what y'all make of it, right? Yeah. So in the one case, I think you're imagining an audience who doesn't rollerblade and doesn't know what rollerblading is. And in the other case, you're assuming you're talking to rollerbladers yeah. of some kind. So there's a big, big difference in what kind of jargon you can use, or if you can use jargon at all, based on whether you're talking to... Uh, whether you think you're talking to rollerbladers or whether you think you're talking to novices. I would think um, what what I would want to do personally is try and reach the people who have no idea what we're talking about. Um, and that's the best place right. to go. Well, and, in that case, wanna, it would be my advice then to make sure that you try to avoid any jargon any wherever you possibly can. Because, uh, you know, if you can say... If you can say it in plain English, then for God's sake, say it in plain English. Just to, to try and explain, uh, if, if you were trying to do a true spin Mizu, uh, just, you would have to explain true spin, and that would be a long thing in itself. There could almost be a video about true spin, not even about a specific grind. Sure, yeah, but, but that, that's a totally different thing too, and it's important to keep them separated. Teaching them the, the vocabulary is one thing, right? But you can say, I'm going to teach you how to do a true spin Mizu, and, and that's the name of the whole maneuver. Now, you don't need to know what any of those things mean, but this is what you're going to do. You're, you're going to roll up to the thing and jump and turn this direction. And you notice I'm doing it with my left foot. If you're, the per if you're a right-footed person, you know, you're going to be turning the other way you know, demonstrated both ways, or something like that. But I don't think that you necessarily need to explain, excuse me, need to explain true spin. Uh, just say that's the name of the trick. If it were called a whirlybird, that's just what it's called, and they don't need to know what all the pieces are. Yeah, good call, actually. So that, that almost makes room for a separate segment where it would be <laughs> like a rollerblading vocabulary. Sure, yeah. If people were interested. Um, I've noticed even on that, uh, on Reddit, which is a really interesting place still for how many people have been asking about skate setups and things. There was a one that came, someone that posted yesterday or today who was looking for quote unquote advanced skating techniques. And it was really interesting to think about what that meant outside yeah. of what we knew, like what, that's, that's, yeah, the layers that are tied up in that are, are very, very rich and thick. <laughs> Because that would be so different from person to person. Um, and is he talking about uh, like aggressive or doing tricks? Or is he talking about like speed skating? Because there's advanced techniques probably in every little subsection. 
Um, and then if there was a general advanced techniques for skating, what would that even be? Like, would that be uh, being able to carve backwards on one foot? That's advanced, but we don't really use that very often. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't really read the post for it, but it got me thinking. Yeah, I think it would it would fluctuate massively by by genre or by category. So that if you're a rec skater, advanced techniques are going to be like specific techniques that you would use to turn and skate backwards at high rate of speed. Yeah, like you're talking about um going super fast backwards and having to turn to forwards. Well, that or, or the other way around, either one. Okay, yeah. That is advanced. Rollerblades are super dangerous. I talked about that on my last thing that I recorded, but um, I think that's that's a big deal that people need to know before they get into it again. Um, yeah. That they're just going down a slight hill for someone who's not wearing any protective gear... Um, there was a reason there were so many broken wrists in the, in the 90s. They're, oh, yeah. they're difficult to master um, just for the, the average person who wants to get fit. So I think um, education is still kind of lacking. Um, although I haven't looked into... Like, have you watched any just general recreational rollerblading? I ha in, the, in the last year or two, I know that I've watched a couple, and and one that I watched it was a guy, and he was just explaining how to do some what what you and I would consider to be very basic things like stepping over a crack and skating backwards and turning, you know, you know, doing little jumps and turning forward and backward and spinning and doing what has what I've always called and I've always heard called a daffy, which is you know front wheel on the heel wheel and back foot wait front foot on the heel wheel and back foot on the toe wheel. Yeah, yeah. That was called a daffy in the earliest inline magazines. <laughs> uh, and I don't know why, what daffy duck has to do with it. Um, but uh, And I'm only presuming that it's daffy duck in the first place. It could be daffy anything. I don't know. It could be daffodil. It could be daffy anything. Daffy, but, yeah, from skiing. But yeah, so, yeah, sorry. That's a long way of answering your question. The, my, the answer to the question is yes, I have watched some of those. And uh, ha ha has anything stuck out? I think the little one that you said, like jumping over cracks and yep. uh, some of those little things, people would be able to not be afraid of skating. Like jumping over cracks, uh, jumping, not jumping off of curbs, but maybe even rolling off of a curb and uh, not having to rely on your brakes. I still think the braking system is incredibly flawed. Well, yeah, from from a from a, a kind of a cognitive perspective, um, what what happens when we get good at things is we develop what are called schema for them, and a schema acts like a kind of a script, and you can keep a lot of things in your head if you're only sort of um, if you're only having to keep one thing in mind. If that one thing is an entire script. There's a lot more data than you could pack in there if it's a whole script, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're having to keep track of every fucking thing that you're doing, like I went I went fly fishing with my dad a couple of summers ago. I guess it was last I guess it was last summer. 
And we had a guy come out, and he was going to teach us how to do it. Um, and there was all this shit to think about, man. And, you know, to him, that's like one thing, like, go fly fishing. And all those things happen as if they were scripted, you know. How to cast, how to watch the water, how to, you know, pay attention to the wind, and what bait to use, and what time of day, and like, all this fucking shit. And... I'm thinking about every single one of those in real time as I'm doing them, and it's way too much to think about. And I think that the point about the cracks that you just brought up is really, really good, that you know, you and I would totally take for granted the tiny little negotiations you do to navigate little bumps and cracks that you can see in the sidewalk as you come up to them. Even if you were hauling ass up to do a soul grind or a, a rail or a trick, um, you still have a huge amount of processing that's going on, but it's not that burdensome because those things occur to you as a script. So that in your mind, all you're doing is skating. And that's a really good point to talk about with beginners that I think a lot of people who are expert have difficulty with is actually trying to break down and get back into that pre-schema mentality. Very difficult. I remember how stressful it was to drive a car. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, oh, go all ahead. the things that you have to be paying attention to but once you know how to drive a car if you asked somebody if somebody asked you hey how do I how do I drive to the gas station you would only tell them the roads <laughs> and it's exhausting to try and think about all that stuff um, and it's weird you can't really take it to any further level until you get get the the, the schema that's what it's called Schema, yeah. Schema. That's yeah, it's, it's that's a, wild. It's 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 really like the earliest, the early what's one of really one of the earliest theories that came out of cognitive psychology, which we still have today, and it followed right after a, a previous movement in psychology called Gestalt psychology, um, which is which had to do with um, your brain's ability to generate an overall impression of a, of something. Yeah. And you might be familiar with Gestalt images. It's um, like a block thing where you, you you fold a paper in half, and sometimes it looks like a butterfly. Oh yeah, yeah. So those are called Gestalt ink drop paintings, or, or something like that. To but reveal your programming, kind of. Well, I think some people took it in that direction, but that <laughs> isn't necessarily what Gestalt psychology was. Was an idea that. Uh, your brain, your brain puts together an overall impression of of an event, and then you work with that in, that impression rather than the individual kind of readings of all the little parts. And uh, I, the the individual readings of all the little parts are really important. To uh, even if you are, even if you have your your schema. It's probably good to break it down once in a while and think about why you do what you do. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true. A lot of the time, um, you can't. You actually can't because the thing is so automated. Whatever it is that you're doing, that that you know, one of the th things that you've given up to get good at, at other things beyond that, where that thing is just a part, um, you you kind of lose that ability to see it in terms of its parts. And I think that I would say that for, for us with skating, the idea of going off a curb or even going up a curb, I wouldn't even include that in the description of a, of a, of a sequence. 
unless it really, really mattered, right? Like if there was a rail that I was skating and there was a curb in a very inopportune place, but you wouldn't say that as part of it. You would just say you skate up and jump on the rail. Yeah. You wouldn't say you ride over every single crack that's evenly spaced five feet apart because they're there and you have to negotiate them. We only mention those things like if there's a crack at the top of the staircase that affects where you have to jump to jump on the rail. Yeah. Right? Like you have to jump before the crack or after the crack. Well, but the crack is in the location where you would prefer to jump. And if you're jumping after it, you feel hurried. And if you're jumping before, you feel like you're having to gap out to the rail. It also enhances your uh, appreciation of skating if you know that stuff when you're watching a video. If someone quickly yeah. hops up on a curb and then does a rail that's only a foot or two away and make it, they make it look like they were just skating on smooth pavement. Um, that's, that's a great topic uh, or a great, a great moment, I think to switch into our, our topic about the Sizemore edit that just came out. Absolutely. He does, he does an Ali Macchio down like a ledge rail and then comes out to forward, but off the end of the sidewalk and like rolls along the edge of the gutter there. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I didn't you know? notice that right away because um, there was so much amazing stuff going on. I noticed that like the second or third watch. You're talking about the wall or the rail attached to the wall, and he comes out over the other side. Yeah, but it's not a wall. It's more like a ledge, you know. Oh yeah, ledge rail type thing comes yeah, out forward. He's lean way over it. Yeah, and I presume that he's leaning way over it on purpose to be able to make that jump over the curb. Yeah, that. Um, the details in that were very impressive. So that's the first thing. Yeah, the David Sizemore. So when you first watched it, um, what were your impressions? Because I remember you commented it was one of the, the better things that you've seen in a long time. Um, it is. It is. Um, what what I like the most about it is, and, and this, this is my honest-to-God reaction. I watched it, and I thought, that was really well executed canonical skating. And for the people who don't know about canonical, um, if you if you've never ever heard the term canonical, you need to think of canonical as being um, like officially licensed by the state. <laughs> yeah. Or by the powers that be. Yeah. I think by the powers that be is probably a better way to get at it. So just just to just to explain that really quickly, a topside sole is going to be canonical for always in rollerblading. Sidewalk has come and gone. It was never in the canon. It was never a regular trick, you know, um uh in that in that uh, at the bitter cold last year, um Montre had to do a sidewalk as his penalty for losing or no, did who wait Somebody had to do a sidewalk. Maybe Chris Haffey had to do it. Chris Haffey lost in that game of Blade, uh, and so he had to do a sidewalk down the ledge in front of God and everyone uh, at, at the bitter cold. Um, and, and so, you know, the idea is that non-canonical tricks are those kind of what, what some people call circus tricks or what other people would consider like goofball tricks or tricks that not everyone can physically do like a mirror grind, which is like a, a double sole grind where you're pigeon-toed all the way together. Yeah. Or, 
the the alternative or the reciprocal of that or is the uh, the open book, which is like doing a, a mizu and a kind grind at the same time, where you're on the outside of your souls, but they're all the way out. <laughs> yeah, so we consider those things to be non-canonical tricks. Yeah, right. So the canonical tricks are all the ordinary tricks that we normally do, right? Soul, kind grind, top soul, unity. Uh, Machio, all those variations of of of, the, of those tricks, of which I believe there are about ninety two, nine eh, say around a hundred. Let's just say I personally believe there are ninety two, and I could talk about that at length, but I'll probably need to write that down. Yeah, rather than try to explain it all here. Yeah, I want to see the chart. I should make that chart. I really should. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, all of his, like, there's nothing in there that's non-canonical, right? Like, backslide, that's archetypal. You know, he opens it with that backslide down the king trail, which I thought was just marvelous. Uh, one thing I noticed about that backslide, though, is that <clears throat> at the beginning, like, the first sort of down flat, he's sort of locked on where his sort of toe is pointed down the rail, which is what I imagined the old backslide looking like. And by the time he finishes, his foot is really pretty perfectly perpendicular to the rail, which is much more like the new, but what I would call the new backslide. Um, and you can you can tell just by looking at the skates how 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 the the, the design has forced that on rollerblading. Um, but it's interesting that in a moment he can start off number one doing a backslide. Which isn't all that common, especially y'all's hilarious, uh, that hilarious old school backslide thing. That was so, so funny. And I know that John Ortiz got a kick out of that because uh, he told me so. But. <laughs> and, and then there was that like lightning quick backside backslide that, that uh, must have been Alex Brosco or somebody. Yeah, it was Brosco. But, but to see, to see. Um, uh, David Sizemore do that backslide down the kink trail. Number one, it's a backslide, which is already very thoroughly canonical. But number two, it feels very old school because it's a kink trail and it's grabbed and the way that it looks and everything. Uh, but also he starts off the down flat of that kink trail with his toe really pointed down the hill like a, like you would do in Majestic tw old Majestic 12s. Uh, or lightnings, or tarmacs, or oxygens, or any of the old skates. Um, but then by the end of the rail, he's he's perfectly ninety degrees. Like his foot is at ninety perpendicular to the railing. So it's 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 like that one trick in microcosm is a transition from very very old school nineteen ninety six era rollerblading to two thousand fourteen. Whatever today is, and he topped, and he topped it off with a forward landing that looked good that wouldn't have been acceptable in an old school video. Yeah, well, to be fair, if he had done it like that, that might have actually changed things because the if you were coming off a backslide forward, it means you were way off balance because of how you used to have to backslide. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. So it's like he's mad. Oh, go ahead. With the, with the old school backslide, 
even though your toe was pointed down the hill, you're really going down the rail butt first. So when you let go of the grind, so to speak, um, your butt's already pointed downhill, and you would almost have to do this really awkward 180 to fling yourself forward to come off of that. It was funny, actually. On I posted on Instagram um, a shot of him going over the first kink and said something about like um, the old school kind of backslide placement on the M12s. And uh-huh. uh, there was two guys who started getting into a back and forth. Um, and this one, I can't remember his username, but he was talking about if it was a if it was a Macchio backslide or an alley-oop fish backslide. And I thought that was really interesting. That's like how he broke down whether it was more of an old school backslide or a new school backslide in terms of the yeah. plate placement. Um, right. I never I mean, thought I've of had, it that way. I've, I've, I've heard the same exact thing, and I've used the same exact kind of metaphor um, to get at the way people royale or farfanugan. And so if you're doing a royale and it's more like a soul with the toe pointed in, then that, you know, it looks more like a soul versus doing a royale that looks more like a kind grind with it out. It's the same idea. It's just using kind grind instead of fish or macchio. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that that's a brilliant way to, to, to understand it. And, and also, if you, if you talk, if you go back to the idea of, of schema theory or chunking, um, what you're left with is that you're probably, especially with a backslide, uh, you're probably your brain is probably borrowing its knowledge of how to do a macchio to do that backslide versus your brain's knowledge on how to do an alley fish to balance that trick. Yeah, wow. Uh, and it's weird to think, depending on what skate it was, that um, I wonder if he was in a different skate, if he even would have been able to do that backslide that way. Like, I don't know in rollerblades. Um, just the idea of backsliding a kinker these days as the opener trick was, it was very bold. I can't remember the last time I saw a backslide like that on a kink trail. Yeah, no, I can't either. Um, so that was the opener. What else? What else about that section? Um, I, I don't... I think that I think that in general, David is really, really smooth. But I did notice that there were um, there were quite a few sketchy landings, and and I think that that's that's peculiar for for what I'll I'll date myself and sound like an old man, but I think that his generation came up differently than we did, especially with regard to filming. Because when we would go and skate, even when we were filming for videos, it would just be somebody standing there holding the camera. And, and maybe they would go for like a better angle or something like that. But like once you did it at all, it counted. But the kids who have come up with the internet, and somebody pointed out recently, oh, oh, it was you. It was, it was you or, or Todd on the last podcast y'all did with uh, Kevin Dowling, I think. Uh, and, I, and maybe it was even Kevin. Where somebody was talking about how the form of Battle My Crew is obsolete. And one of you said, yeah, you know what it's called now? It's called the fucking internet. 
And, and I, I was so charmed by that statement because it is, and that I think speaks really well to the kind of attitude um, that people have now where if you want to know what's going on in skating, you go on Facebook and watch all the videos that are coming out that came out this week. Yeah, I love that. Who's the best in, in Ohio? You just wait until you find out who's the who are the guys in Ohio posting the videos and watch their shit. Yeah. I love that. You I mean, don't need a central place to, to, to do it all because we don't all have to buy it on VHS anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. There's people who would would argue that that is bad because quality control goes awry, but um, I think it's been a good thing. Even just locally here, um, some of the guys who were kind of third generation a few years younger than us yeah. um, have been getting back into skating because of the, the feedback loops that you get um, cool. that you can just, you know, put skating out once in a while and people who didn't know that you got back into skating know now and can comment and say like, you know, that was cool. Or I think that's a good thing. I like it. I think it is. I think, I think it's kind of, it's kind of a, a double edged sword though, to be sure. Um, because what we lose when we lose that, you know, that central, um, authority figure is, is the ability to really control it. And there's a lot of people who would say, yeah, absolutely. The last thing that we want is control. Um, but but the fact that there's that there's no authority is problematic at, at least in in a couple of different ways. Um, number one, you lose the ability to have. Um, well, you, you you eliminate the ability to make money off it. Yeah. In a real way, I mean, Dave wasn't making millions back in the day, but you know he was he was paying for himself. Mm-hmm. And the videos, the videos definitely pay for themselves. Whereas I don't know that you could say that about any edit. Yeah. Um, At gonna... least in rollerblading. Now, there have been some edits that are pretty big and, and probably have drawn uh, some amount of income. Whether the income is sufficient to out, uh, offset the cost of producing that section, I don't know. Well, we're going to find that, that out. That's a conversation in itself. Yeah. But we're going to find that out, actually, not that they'll ever release the numbers, but that Broskow section is the first experiment of its kind that's going to be happening this week. Anyways. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, to go back to that, to that idea, though, I was kind of, I was kind of um, surprised to see some kind of sketchy landings. And they're not on the big-ass tricks that he's doing. They're just kind of like in the, the middle tricks, so to speak. Um, like that giant 540 he does over a double set, like perfect fucking landing. Uh, but there's some other tricks, and, and I can't think of any off the top of my head. But there's at least three, I want to say, maybe more than three, where he's really kind of sketchy on the landing. Um, and, and David being from a younger generation of skaters who came up with filming as a main part of what skating is and does, um, I was surprised to see it in there because we know that he could do it perfectly. I mean, we know that he can do that, uh, that back salve to true unity or whatever it is on that kink trail. And if you could do that, you can definitely land a topsole without being sketchy. We would presume. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out, you know, if, if there was a David Sizemore commentary on, 
you know, it could be anything from getting kicked out of that spot or he liked the way he approached that one. I love hearing that stuff, the insight yeah. as to why the choice of that would have gone in. Um, that is an interesting thing because I, I think it'll be a good thing, you know, putting in some sketchier landings. Um, not all sketchy landings, but um, I think it's good. Someone like Brian Shima could have landed however the fuck he wanted and it still looked really good, at least to me. Yeah. Brian, I thought always, always like it was that Brian's a weird example to to sort of cross reference that with because Brian always seems squirrely, but people always seem to like it that he was squirrely. Whereas with with David, like you know that he can do textbook shit, and I didn't I didn't leave that section thinking that was textbook. I left thinking that was canonical. That's a really interesting point. Um, the his height. Have you met him in person or seen him in person? Cause I haven't met him before, no. I was wondering how tall he was. Because, yeah, Shima was a was a weird cross-reference just for the height reason alone. Um, the It seems like he could be taller. I don't know. I don't know if that changes much. But um, I one thing that I think interesting about that section is how uh, he's taken his own influence in upbringing and skating, and then he's there's a little bit of Broscow in there in terms yeah. of the precision of some of the tricks. Yeah. I did notice that too. Yeah. And um, I definitely see, I, I, we're, we're calling it Brosco's influence. And I think that that's probably fair, but you definitely get the sense that some of those are very Broscow ish style wise or, 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 um, execution wise, you know, that, that they, they kind of suggest, Alex Brasco to you? Yeah. And that probably says more about Alex Brasco than it says about anybody else. Yeah. That's... It, it's weird, though, because Brasco, um It's only more recently that I would say that. That, like, meantime era Brasco was kind of like a mix of KFC Brasco and the Brasco we know now. So I, I would love to hear him where he gets his influences for that precision style skating. I always think it's skateboarding, that he watches a lot of skateboarding. Um, but I could be wrong on that. Hmm. Um, more, though, about uh, David Sizemore. I can't... I have I, seen him in real life. I, I was the judge of last year's Bitter Cold, or I was one of the judges. Oh, David Sizemore or Broscow? Uh, Well, both of them were there. But, but you were asking specifically about David's height. And yeah. He's a regular height dude. He's not like a Louis Zamora guy who's like knee high to a munchkin. He's like I don't know five eight, five nine, something like that. Like he's a regular sized dude. He probably wears a size nine skate. He's probably five foot nine tall. It's a pretty solid. Uh, it's a good. It's a good height. What's a good foot size for rollerblading? Right. Shima though's short. Shima's pretty short. Yeah. He's not Every- as short as Louis, but he's still pretty short. Everybody that I that I've seen in person, they're always way shorter than I would have thought. Um, yeah, yeah, especially she. Aragon, I remember, was way shorter than I thought. We we have this theory that there is like a perfect rollerblading uh, body type for center of gravity. There seems to be like an average um, height and and kind of like mid body type. This like wiry, muscly. Uh, body with with kind of like not necessarily super short but shorter seems to be 
a lot of the best have been around that. There's there's exceptions like Farmer, um, Elliot, Eric Burke. We're all taller rollerbladers. I'm trying to think of a couple other ones. Eric Burke is a good one to point out. Wasn't tall at all. He wasn't. No, I thought he was. No, he just looks tall. He's really lanky, and he comes across as being tall, but he was not. I mean, he's not not over six foot for sure, and, and probably five nine or five ten, maybe at the most. Wow. To be fair, though, I'm six two, and I don't imagine somebody being five ten as tall. Yeah, what is tall now? Six is six feet. Six one. Six. I don't. Know. I mean, to me, to me, it's got to be pretty relative because. You know, the shortest guys in the NBA are now averaging at around six foot six. Holy shit! And granted, that's 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 a very, very large activity, with drawing participants from all over the world, um, and height is 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 an advantage in that sport for real. Whereas, I don't necessarily see height or height of any of any description, short or tall, as as playing a very definite role. I would I would suggest, for instance, fairly off the top of my head, that you could put together a better correlation between shorter guys being better rollerbladers because um they they get they they have a reason to try harder. And whether it's a kind of a Napoleon complex or something else, I mean, a lot of us, I think, who were really good back in the day, um, were 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 able to do a lot of the same tricks and could do them just as well. Um, but for instance, then wouldn't do it off the edge of a roof. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it takes a certain kind of person. Um, oh God, what's that guy's name? Eric Perquet. Yeah. You know. That guy was just like on a mission or something. I don't know what his deal was, but like, it's like his idea was, you know, well, I know how to rollerblade now, so I'm going to go roll. You know, I learned how to Royale now, so let's go Royale off of something nuts, you know? Whereas the rest of us would be totally satisfied to do a Royale down a 20 kink rail and be like, yeah, I fucking Royale a 20 kink rail. But at no point were we at a height that we could die, you know? And he's like, well, I'll do a 20 kink drop rail. Or I'll get towed by a car and then do it. Or I'll disaster to the last down. Or something absurd. That's a really good point. I, I think that it really has a lot less to do with, um, you know, there being an ideal center of gravity. I think it probably is, is a lot more comp, comp, complicated than that. Um, because there's a lot of moving parts in, in sociology. I mean... What do you, I mean, what do you get for being short? Like, take Louis Zamora. He's, he's, he's nationwide, he belongs to an ethnic minority. Nationwide, he's really short. Nationwide, he's also, or worldwide, he's also male, which contributes to him being X, Y, and Z. Uh, there's so many factors going into it that I think to just look at skating and talent and height and try to draw a causal relationship between them all is really pretty thin because that really dismisses any number of other multitude things that could be affecting his the 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 reasons why he skates the way that he did. You have enlightened me again, Frank. <laughs>
Well, cheers. <laughs> cheers, definitely. Um, watching David Sizemore, um, do you ever have anything in the back of your mind like, ooh, uh, anti-rocker, maybe I'll give it a go? No. <laughs> no. Okay, yeah. I have that. I must have every once in a while. I think I need to try anti-rocker and then I try it. It's not good. I don't give it enough of a of a go either, but it doesn't really do much for me. But I, I find it really impressive what he's able to do um, with anti-rocker. I, I see the lightness of his skates come through, even though it's not that much of a weight difference with the two middle wheels taken out. But yeah. Um, if you got if you got a if you get a fat wallet with a bunch of credit cards and a set of keys, you've got more weight with a wallet and a pair of keys. Oh, I I try and take everything out of my pockets. Maybe I'll keep chapstick that, in that it. I, I I definitely used to skate with a big ass chain wallet, and I definitely used to skate with a bunch of shit in my wallet, and the and the big ass chain and everything else that was involved with that and pads. You know, and wrist guards, helmets, any, any, all that stuff. You know, there's a lot of weight. You know, and if you're complaining about the weight of four wheels and eight bearings, you know, and and maybe, maybe David skates around without a wallet or, or so much as a piece of lint in his pocket. But um, I think that weight is is probably re, you know more in your head than in reality because the weight of a couple of wheels is really pretty minimal. Yeah. The but yeah, so I definitely don't. The 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 thing that makes me, you know, kind of sigh about about Anna Rocker is when uh, like when we go to the skate park and somebody like Cody Sanders or somebody else will go up and on a really really rough ledge do just a fast backside royale where they're all the way on top and that back Anna Rocker wheel is just dragging across the top. You know, where they're almost, it's almost like a cess slide on the edge. He, and and that high speed back royale, I, I get I get a little bit envious of. But that's really the only one. Every other trick in, in his section, I don't imagine couldn't be done flat rocker with, with, without the same grace. Yeah, definitely. I posted that thing in a Luda interview um, about how... He likes the feel of anti-rocker because he gets a more solid push because he played hockey, and it seemed seemed really bizarre. That um, uh, yeah. That, Did you just post that? I feel like I just read that. Yeah, I just posted that. I read a Luda interview and I posted that, and then I I commented if you had to watch a hockey game where the middle part of the blade was cut out of everybody's skates. Oh yeah. What it would look like. Um, yeah, it was weird. He. He was almost saying that he really liked that sticky feeling where uh, your when I tried anti rocker last, your pushes or your strides have to be more kind of stuck and pronounced. I don't yeah. even that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I but agree. You, you can't do those quick, short little strides as much, and you can't really um, you can't get speed from a push. Uh, where both of your feet are down, if that makes any sense. I don't, I don't know. The best way I can describe it is your your strides just have to be longer and more stuck to the ground. And uh, hockey wouldn't work that well if uh, 
No. People were an anti-rocker. That seems weird to me, too. And that almost seems like... <clears throat> that that seems to me like what we were talking about before with the how-tos, where it's become so obvious to you how you do what you do that you don't even know what it is anymore. And if you start thinking that it's one thing... And that's that's one of the things about the how-to. With those exaggerated movements, they're telling you one thing and then doing another, and they don't see the difference. Yeah, and... Um, it's to me that he doesn't see the difference, if that's what he's saying. I just I thought it was weird that he he said hockey and something like solid stride. I should... I can't bring it up, but... Um, like I don't have the direct quote. I right. thought it was weird, though. Um, it almost didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the the idea now that the um, are before I ask this? What are you're in Volos right now? No, I uh, wear shadows now. Oh, that's right, shadows with the element frame still, right? Yes, sir. And it's working they're out very well. They're, those frames are limping. They're on their last. If anybody out there has got a pair of uh, large size Kaiser Element frames, look me up on Facebook, and I will pay you cash money. Because <laughs> yeah, are you afraid that you might have to go to a different frame now? Um, I mean, the truth be told, if because the the thing that's strange about those frames, especially for us, is that the there's not two bolts. Right, so the one bolt, like on a on a metal frames, just threads right into the aluminum. And if those things get stripped out, what I'll probably just do is drill out the whole thing with a regular drill bit, and then put a regular eight mil bolt through the whole thing. There has to be lots of element frames lying around the United States. There's got to be. I imagine that there are, but getting me in contact with those people and if they're willing to part with them is a separate issue altogether. If you had to choose a secondary large size frame, do you know what you would go to next? What I what I was what I was skating uh, off and on when I was going back and forth between Shadow and uh, Valo skates was um, uh, some ground control uh, Formula Ones. And my main issue is that they're just a little bit shorter than I would like them to be. I think they're like 11. They're like 11 inches or, or 10 and 10 and seven eighths. And the elements are like 11 and a quarter. I think. I feel like and the so elements are the really, long. I really, really like the wheelbase. I really, really like the long wheelbase. Especially with rocker, uh, a rocker setup. Um, I feel like the elements were the longest, uh, one of the longest frames out. They're the longest that I'm aware of. I, I remember um, Able frames being pretty long, um, but I don't think that if I had a pair of Ables to measure, I don't think they would turn out to be quite as long as the elements are. The The longest frame that I know of is um, the Kaiser Slimline, which is either 11 and a quarter or, or maybe even longer than that for the large size. Yeah. For, anybody, for everybody listening, I'm talking about the large size. I wear a, I'm six foot two and I wear a, a size 12 skate. 
And uh, I have to try large frames again. You know, watching all of this uh, the ski stuff lately, uh-huh. I could imagine why the longer frames with Rockard would be quite beneficial. Yeah, I love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I would go. I would go longer if anybody would make one. How long would you go? Now that's a really interesting question. I would. I would probably. I mean, I would. I would be really interested to skate on something long, long, like like two feet long. Would it? If, ha- I, if, if I could get, if I could get a two foot long frame, and still have the ability to have the rocker feel that I have now. Um. I I would be quite keen on that. Wow, that would be so cool! To, <laughs> I would love to try that too. What, would this frame flex, or would it, uh, like, would it have a natural flex built built in, or would it be quite rigid? I don't have a clue, man. I mean, all I'm all I'm saying is, if, if somebody made one that was 13 inches longer, I would skate that with. I would buy that without even thinking about it. Do you, you know, know like, of anybody uh, a apart inch too longer than my foot? An inch or two longer than your foot. Um, do you know without, of any, what, without, without a doubt. doubt? Do you know of anyone besides yourself who prefers a long frame? Like a like, are you the only person who prefers a rockered long frame that you know of? Um. I can't answer that question because I don't know really anybody else who rides Rocker. Uh, so, I, so my, in other words, my sample group is so small that I don't even think that I could speak for it. But yeah. what I will say, though, is that I know a humongous number of old school guys and some of the younger guys who um, who talk about length in terms of whether they can see their front wheel when they look down at their toe. Oh, yeah. This and is a the thing. People, a lot of people will say that they have to be able to see that wheel. <laughs> that, that's suggestive of them wanting a longer frame, but it's not necessarily for the same reason. And just out of the front of the skate, not the back. Well, presumably, yeah, they don't. They don't. Presumably, they don't know what they're talking about anyway. They just prefer or they get a mental block, or they feel unstable, whether or not they are, but feeling unstable is often plenty enough to make you be unstable. It's like a comfort mechanism, visual comfort thing, just to see the wheel, to know that it's there. Yeah, but, but I mean, we, we can say the same thing about style. Like, we've been talking lately, when we go to the box sessions, you can tell, like, who means business by, you know, seeing who shows up wearing all black. <laughs> and even though it's, like, nobody's filming, we're not do- doing anything, we're just skating the box. But, like, if you've been thinking about a trick all week and you want to do it at the box session on Saturday, and you're really showing up with a purpose, you might just show up wearing all black. You just might. I'm just saying. Oh, fuck, that's so funny. I wore a gray shirt yesterday. And I did. I and I yeah. thought that I didn't skate as well because I never wear gray shirts. Um, I will think of dumb, superstitious things like that. Although I, yeah, all black. I don't know. There's something. Uh, there's something powerful about that. I do, and, and my point. My point is to say that 
there's it's it would be very very hard to sort out um, whether or not the all black outfit played a role because it was the attitude that got you to wear the outfit in the first place or maybe you put on the outfit hoping the attitude would follow and in either case hoping that the you'd be able to deliver the goods on your skates after that so you know it's not superstition in the in the sense that you know you'll land your tricks if you wear all black and you've never missed a trick you know the only time you missed a trick was when you were wearing that navy blue shirt that didn't fit right you know there's something to be said though about feeling good um and 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 skating well or really performing well no matter what you're talking about whether it's skating or presenting conference papers or anything else yeah I especially and i would i would i would add to that especially if that kind of thing matters to you to go back to the engineers and people the academics that i was talking about if they don't notice then they're probably not going to care and they're probably not going to ever show up in an all-black outfit to rollerblade because that kind of thing never crossed their mind that that they would feel better and maybe possibly skate better because they felt better you know yeah so in the baseball thing that you caught um uh-huh is that considered how to like uh them talking about the uniform would that be a how that would be a how to video to you if that's okay so do you it think... was in to be fair it was in a whole how to how to swing how to bunt how to steal bases like it was a full how to video it was probably an hour and a half long and it was just this one part. It was a whole VHS tape is what I'm saying. So then so then, this one part was just like five minutes, maybe, maybe two minutes that I actually watched and have stuck with me for decades. Now, do you think there could be a how-to rollerblading video on proper clothing to wear? Not proper clothing, but... Um how clothing affects skating or something like that related to that baseball video. I mean, of course, of course you could do a how to on anything. I don't quite, I, I think that there's a layer to your question that I'm not getting. Like, would it not be cool to do that? Or what, what's the nature of your question? Uh, do you think that someone would be interested? Do you think there are people who are getting into skating who actually oh, think about so, like, well, what should yeah, I wear? From an audience. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, from an audience point of view. Yeah, from the novice's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that you could make one. Um, I don't know how well it would succeed for two reasons. Number one, I don't know how easily you could succeed in getting that into the hands of the people who really wanted to know. Uh, and two, it would probably be really difficult to do that without sounding really prescriptive uh, about what's cool and what's not, so that all the other people who became aware of it would probably lampoon you into shame. Yeah, I can only. See you're never going to hear. You're never going to hear Alex Brasco talk about, you know, how to how to how to roll up your your jeans at the bottom. The the like, com- the comedy potential is huge, um, without even it trying yeah, I to think be funny. It was sensitive, and the fact that we haven't we haven't got one of those at least so far as you or I are is aware. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. That's that's weird. I think I think that's one of the things that you get for free when you start hanging out with other rollerbladers, and when you start in, engaging with the culture, you 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 um you start talking the way that other rollerbladers do. You start using some of the same expressions for you know things that you like, saying cool or dope or sick or any of the other words that we use when we're talking about skating. Attitudes that we have. Um, it, it the the delivery system for for delivering that information to novices works pretty good in a hands off way. Yeah, that's a really good point. So that you know the delivery system for teaching Phillips sixty six doesn't really happen in an organic way. But the transition from super baggy jeans to super skinny jeans. That's a totally different thing. You know, the delivery system we have is just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, using the term old school, uh, do you have your own kind of like uh, timeline for what that means year-wise? When, when old school... When old school ended? Ended and where uh, whatever we're in now begins. Um, well, to, to me, old school is the, there's, there's the men and women who were rollerblading on ramps and rails before I was. Um, and, and those were really the kind of OGs. Hang, hang on, my dog's barking. Give me one yeah, second. No problem. Someone asked me this about old school, so. I'm bringing this up. Okay, sorry. No problem. Okay, so to me, old school. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, you get you get varying sort of shades of, of meaning there, and the the kind of absolute old school to me are the people who were rollerblading before the language and the culture really solidified around it. Right, so when you had widespread use of homemade tricks with homemade names, you know, people were doing soul grinds on skates long before they knew it was called a soul grind. Yeah. And especially before they knew it was spelled S O U L. <laughs> um so so that is what I would call like serious old school. Yeah. Or very old school. Yeah. Um, and then it, 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 to me, it depends a lot on who I'm talking to because there's people who are really not that much younger than me. Um, but I still use phrases like back in the day to, <laughs> to like late nineties stuff. Yeah. Which is really in my mind, fully modern rollerblading. I agree. Yeah. Uh, you got people doing, you know, full cap, true fish with a grab, you know, in skates like Colts you know, razors, super flats or whatever, you know, you have everything there except for just, it was filmed on different cameras. It was done in a different time. They were in those tricks and those people were informed by a totally different landscape of the world and of the rollerblading world. Um, so, you know, I, I would put, you know, old school as being the, 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 the legit, proper old school or the people who were doing rollerblading before it had all its names, before the culture had really solidified around it. 
or, or, or sort of congealed, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and then old school, I variously used to kind of demarcate sort of pre-Y2K. Yeah. Because I kind of forget how old I am sometimes, and I kind of forget that a lot of these things were 20 fucking years ago. And for somebody like Andrew Broom, who's like 18, going to be 19, he still wasn't even born yet. Yeah, that's, that is insane. I mean, and- Andrew, Andrew is a really accomplished skater. You know, he's a really good, really talented, very accomplished guy. But like, I was doing kink drills before he was born. Oh. oh, that's. So you have to have some way to to kind of, you know, break through what his reality must be, where everything that he can remember ever in his life, ever, this was before that. So the bully in kindergarten, you know, the bully at summer camp, the girl you had a crush on and kissed, you know, when you were in the first grade, all of that whole thing, all of getting through middle school and high school and surviving everything that you have to survive just to be a kid nowadays, uh, you know, it was before the internet. Or at least before the internet was, was anything like what we think of it being now. Yeah. So, you know, it's important, I think, to keep in mind when you're talking about some word or term like old school, there's a lot that comes to bear on that. It's not just skating in this isolated, artificial way. Uh, You know, the world has been happening around rollerblading the whole time. And so talking about, you know, the Internet before 2000, the Internet was really pretty shitty before 2000. I mean, you could send email, and that was rad. And you could do AIM or AOL chat, and that was rad. And there was some websites that you could get stuff from. But it's nothing at all like the way that we check Facebook today. Hang on, hang on just one second. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Are, so, we, out of, so, are we out of time? No, 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 not okay, at all. I got I just, a little bit more. My dog has has uh, is kind of sick, and she has medicine. And my wife was just telling me that I need to make sure I give the dog her medicine. Oh shit! Before I go to bed. Hopefully, nothing too serious. No, she's okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so it's it's really important, I think, when you're talking about the meanings of things, to to put them in their in their time, and and to think about the people using them. You know, I mean, if if you talk about somebody who I would call old school, I mean. I remember when, when, when Todd did the podcast with Angie, she self-identified as being a second-generation rollerblader. And that blew my fucking mind that she would say that because in my mind, like, no one came before her. She was skating in, like, 1990. Yeah, who did she reference, by the way? What names? Did she say anything before her? She Yeah, I actually friended a gal on Facebook um, who... So Chris Edwards was skating before her. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even before Chris Edwards, uh, there was the company Rollerblade. And uh, Rollerblade had a dance team. And the dance team uh, did a number of things, some of which were choreographed dances and things. But they also could stair ride. You know, they also could skate fakie through cones or skate backwards through cones. You know? Um yeah. 
And so they, she is able to imagine uh, an inline, an inline influence prior to her that it was in some ways suggestive of a stunt or aggressive or rollerblading mentality. So, so you know, I think it's it's pretty safe to say for me, all the people who were rollerblading before the tricks had names. That's old school, and those were old schoolers. Um, but I also think that it's a fair case to be made that, you know, anything before 2000 was a really different world than we live in now. And so that's that's part of that same kind of curmudgeonly grandpa sitting on his rocking chair, smoking a pipe, telling you how things used to be. You know, that all that stuff is sort of tied up in, in what old school means to me. Wow, that's an excellent answer. How, and do you think uh, our kind of age range that we've grown up with the uh, internet and without the internet, do you think we have a, a perspective that's important to bridge the gap between younger people and elderly people? Yeah, um, my wife said this the other day, and she's been dealing with this specifically in terms of the internet with some research that she's been doing lately. Uh, and and the thing that she mentioned for those of us who are in our kind of, you know, early to mid thirties, um, we're we're kind of slightly too young to really be Generation X. You know, we were aware, for instance, of Nirvana, and we liked Nirvana as a band and everything like that, but. We weren't quite old enough to go to a Nirvana concert, you know, when when Bleach came out or any of those other albums came out, you know. So like, it's 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 one thing if things are happening in the world when you are fourteen years old, versus when things are happening in the world that really are affecting you deeply when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. Yeah. And so, my generation, the sort of mid thirties demographic, um. We're really not quite generation uh, generation X, um, and we're really not part of the the generation that's called the um, the the millennials. The millennials are are a good ten years younger than we are, and so Jess, my wife, the other day, um, and I don't know if she got this from somewhere else or not, but um, she described our generation as being not having a name, but being witnesses. That we are witness to Generation X. We are witness to the millennials. But we're just kind of in between the two. And and we have enough of our own identity so that we can feel different from them. Um, but we, we're not different enough to have our own name. And that puts us in a position to just be there not necessarily observing, but witnessing in a, in, a, in a very passive kind of way, the way that you witness an automobile accident. You know, it's, 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 not, like, it's not like I don't want to give everybody the sense that we're somehow spiritually better observers than anybody else because I don't necessarily think that to observe and to witness means the same thing. But I definitely get the sense of what she's saying when she says witnesses, you know, because we're in that in-between as if we had an older brother, a way older brother, and a way younger brother, and the two of them, 
you know, grew up in totally different worlds. And I think that the same thing has basically been true for every major generation since the start of the 17th century with the Industrial Revolution. That the rate of change, technological change and world change is happening now at a rate so incredible that the lives of um, our grandchildren will be totally unrecognizable to the lives of our grandparents. Facebook alone is something that we never imagined when the internet came out. Never at all imagined. No. So, do you think there's a lot of uh, teachers in this in this group? Or well, people? I know a lot of them because all they're all people who are my same age, and we all graduated at the same time. I, I just feel like a lot of people in this in this range would be excellent teachers or counselors or uh, because of that possible perspective of being between the two. Um. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I could. I, I could produce any data to 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 or or any any knowledge. You know, to say I I have an objective way of saying there's more people in their 30s than in their 20s or 40s who are teachers. Yeah, good call. It, is your wife a teacher as well, or no? Um. She was. She has a PhD and two master's degrees. Dang. So both of you are writers. We Yeah, she's more of, of what you think of when you think of a writer. She's published a novel um, that, that was very successful uh, within the kind of indie lit community. Um, she's also written a lot of poetry. She's more of what you kind of imagine to borrow the phrase from earlier, is a canonical writer, somebody who, you know, sits at, like, like the way that you think about Brian Kranz and the way that Brian Kranz kind of fancies himself as an actual writer. He, he writes on a fucking typewriter, you know. Um, he sits alone in his little house or his little office or whatever it is and writes those fantastic books that he's been writing. She's much more of what you think of as a writer in the kind of classical sense like that, like Brian Kranz. Um, and I'm much more of an academic. I mean, like, I haven't written a story in, I don't know, ages. That's a powerful I, combination. I mean, I don't, I don't write story. I, I do research and then write academic papers. Uh, I saw Kranz wrote an article about Sizemore that I haven't read yet, but... I just wanted to throw that out there if anybody's listening. Yeah, I haven't actually read it either because I've been busy with work and haven't had any free time to do that. Um, but yeah, I want to read that. And um, actually, I've actually got my first draft up for 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 the um, uh, thing that I'm going to be writing. I'm going to write a I'm going to write a once a month um, open letter on Brian's uh, Blader Digest page. Oh, so that's that's where. Um, your stuff is going to go now. So that's one area. The other thing I'm doing is is I'm going to start a column very soon here uh, for BMAG. And that's the other place it's going to go. That's awesome. I really uh, I love the new the relaunch. So was it blading.info and BMAG kind of merged together? 
Is that what happened? So uh, Johan Jacoby uh, used to run blader blading blading dot info or blader dot info, whatever the website was called. Yeah, and he has now taken over uh, BMag, and I know that they've been working for a very long time to port everything together, the old BMag and everything else. Um, <clears throat> I'm in a doubt that the current or the well, the old BMag. I doubt that that was a WordPress site, but I don't actually know. It may well have been a WordPress site. Um, and if there's articles that you recognize as being from blading.info on there, um, then they're probably just part of the porting from from uh, the merging of those two sites. I'm, I don't believe that um, blading.info is going to continue on as a co-constructing entity of the new BMAG, but it's the same principal people. And I could be very wrong, and I don't want to le- mislead anybody uh, hearing this about what what um, whether blading.info is, is part of it or not. But Johann Jacobi uh, from Germany uh, is now running BMAG, uh, and he used to run blading.info. Is he going to be running the print mag too? Or I just the on? I don't know the answer to that. Oh, okay. Um... I thought he was the big boss, but um, and I don't know of anybody else. So I presume that he's doing both. Yeah, I I was really. But I impressed. don't know, and I shouldn't I shouldn't make such a claim without knowing. Yeah, good call. Um, that's awesome. Then so it's going to be two different styles. Uh, the open letter is a specific style through Blade or Die, and then you'll be writing a different different type of thing for BMAG. Yeah, the form for the BMAG one is going to be a lot more like the second place articles used to be, but I'm 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 working and practicing on avoiding the kind of um, academic pretense for second place, so that it won't always start with an object lesson. I'm just going to say what I think is the main idea. Uh, the column is going to be called for your consideration, and the idea is to have it just be for your consideration colon, and then the title is just going to be whatever it is that I'm hoping that you'll consider and then write about it and try to bypass. Even if it bumps up against academic stuff, uh, I probably won't be shy with vocabulary the way that I've always done. Um, but I'm not going to do the object lesson the way that I used to, which is like, okay, here's this idea from sociology. Now let me tell you how that has to do with rollerblading, um, which was basically my form for the whole of second place. Uh, so I'm going to try to avoid that portion of it and just try to cut right to the to the skating. Um, your second place articles, are they just going to stay where they are? Or is there going to be um, like a second place site where people can go where the, everything is going to be? Or is it just going to be they have to go to one to find all the old second place articles? Um, well, there's no bad blood between Justin and I as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think that there's any reason to believe that he's going to take them down. Uh, and Brian Kranz kind of went through a similar sort of uh, time where he was writing stuff for one and then they parted ways. Um, uh, let's see. But but uh, I'm not planning on hosting them anywhere else. And I wouldn't presume to port them over to BMAG. Uh, so I guess I guess for the sake of it, yeah, they'll probably just have to stay there on, on one, as long as they're going to be hosted by one. Okay. 
So that's where you find the old stuff. And so when can we expect? You said your first draft is done for Blade or Die. Yeah, the first draft for Blade or Die just is done. Um, I have some revising to do, and I may try to get that finished up. I'm going to try to get that finished up this weekend. Uh, and then so then I'll be able to have that go live maybe hopefully at the beginning of next week. Excellent. Is that the... Um... Did the hipster and rollerblading one ever go out? No, I've written it, and I think that I think that that's probably the first one that I have to write for uh, for B Mag. Yeah, yeah, I think I I've think spent so way too. too much time talking about it here and elsewhere for me to not do it. I have to deliver the goods on that because there's way too many things. Well, you probably have a lot of material um, and notes and things. It must be floating around, just ready to go. Not the not the full thing, but. Um, I'm intrigued from what you have talked about. Yeah, um, I have, I have, yeah, I have a lot of the, I think the work is done. I just have to put it all together. Um, so what's left really is the writing. And I really mean that in the larger sense of planning and drafting and revising. So the open letter, is it, it's an open letter to rollerblading? Um, well, some of them will be. Some of them will directly address rollerblading as though they, it was a coherent, unified whole. Um, others, I think, will address individual people. Oh, wow. So I might write an open letter to John Julio, say, or an open letter to Arlo Eisenberg, say. Or, Holy shit. I want to read all of them right now. Well, I'd like to write all of them right now. <laughs> um, that's a really, really interesting idea. Um that I'm surprised there aren't more uh, coherent, intelligent, uh, long-form pieces directed towards people. Well, yeah, I, I need to actually do it because if I want to get credit for having come up with it, then I need to be the first one to market. Oh, well, hopefully we haven't blown your cover too much on this no. podcast. I mean, no. Well, who's yeah, who's going to do it better? Uh, well, that's very, that's very kind of you, but I, I, I really, really do hope with this new kind of, um, re, what did you call the the um the B Mag reboot? Uh, I think I called it a relaunch. Relaunch, okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a way kind of imagining this as a sort of a relaunch for myself because, um, I, I was applying, I was applying for for academic programs. And I got a no from somebody a couple of years ago, and I called and I just said, you know, no hard feelings at all, but um, can you tell me anything about why you said no? And the guy said, well, you look pretty much like everybody else that applied here. You're smart. You've done all this awesome shit. Um, but one of the things we're looking for in this particular program is for people to have had really interesting community service. And like within seconds of, of hearing him say that, still on the phone with him, the entire plan for doing second place launched itself in my head. <laughs> that like I can be a a ad an ad hoc, you know, linguist for hire as a community service project for rollerblading, and I can write these articles and I can find somewhere to do it. And Justin was really great. Uh, I told him the idea and, and he thought it was crazy. Um, and that was that was after 
um, a really, really crazy idea that John Elliott and I had where I was going to be Ground Control's um, linguist. Holy shit. And I was going to be the, like, you know, sponsored, if you like, uh, by Ground Control, but not at all for skating, you know, and I wouldn't even get, I mean, I guess I'd get some frames or something, but, like, that wouldn't be the thing. The idea would be that, like, I would list them in publications. I would list them when I do conference talks and say, you know, I'm affiliated with Ground Control and St. Edwards University. <laughs> and presumably I would, you know, get myself a Ground Control tie made or something like that. <laughs> Was that the call where you came up with second place? Did that also inspire the article about putting uh, rollerblading on your resume? Mm. No, I, I, I don't think that I had any kind of big uh, epiphany moment for that. Um, I think that that had just come years later when I started applying to jobs after college. Um, because my resume felt really pretty thin. Um, and, and I felt really uh, dismayed at the idea that I'd spent so much time doing it. And people wanted to know if I was a part of any clubs. And I'm thinking about these clubs and universities where you meet like once a month and talk about recycling, <laughs> you know, or, or something. Yeah. And I'm thinking, dude, I've been to 30 fucking countries to rollerblade. I know people who I became best friends with within 10 minutes of meeting them. People that I know now, Jake Barnes, I knew within, I knew within 10 minutes of meeting him that I was going to know him my whole life, you know? Yeah. And how, how can I... How can I communicate that I'm this kind of person? I've been all over the place. I've done awesome shit. I've seen awesome shit. I know awesome people. And they want to know if I've been in a club? You know? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, maybe to some extent I need to play the game, you know? And and that's something that goes back to what we were saying an over almost two hours ago at the beginning of this where we were talking about uh, you, you know, the comment that y'all had made, or you or, or Todd or Kevin, had said, um, you know, yeah, we still have Battle My Crew. It's called the Internet, you know, which I think is such a brilliant comment to make. But, you know, at, at the same time, um, what, what we lack is in, in any coherent way is the ability to put what we do in terms that other people will understand. So if you say that you're from Dearborn, Michigan, and you're part of the Dearborn, Michigan Hunting and Fishing Society, people don't even have to know what the fuck that means to be able to put it together. You know, and they, oh, you guys, like, have a clubhouse, and you all have weekly meetings, and you all do community service projects, and such and such and such and such, and you get credit for being a good, you know, person, a good uh, citizen for that. Um... And yet, in rollerblading, we don't get any of that stuff for free. We don't get any of that uh, that ethos, that that sense of of your good character, you know. And 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 I think it's in part because we do such a bad job of selling it to anybody. One of the things that we're doing is me and me and my friend Jared. Uh, we have these box sessions, and we're trying to get it, um, you know, recognized by the city, and. One of the things that we did was we changed the name of our Facebook group from Austin Blader Gang, which to somebody on the Parks and Rec Department is going to sound sketchy, to Austin Rollerblading. 
And, and then we'll, one of the things that we get for free by changing the name is uh, the date of, of the creation of the group, which was years ago. So when we're saying, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Frank Stoner, I'm with the Austin Rollerbladers, uh, and we're, we'd like to get a, a, a permit, you know, a renewable weekly permit to, to skate in this park, um, and, and to get some signage put up saying that, you know, we have access to skate the park, and, and it's, it's, it's our discretion whether we would like to invite you to hang out with us or not, um, because we've had to share in the past with people wanting to play soccer, uh, people wanting to do other activities, and, and we would like some exclusivity to be able to say, no, 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 we went through all the trouble to go through the city council to get this thing done, and we don't really want to have to let you skate here. We're having our practice. We're having our thing. That's such, oh, just, just having just having those things in in a in a in a coherent and effable way that you can you can say to people, and and it, that's the thing is like you don't have to like start a rollerblading group and you know do volunteer work with it or anything, but like just by skating and by being a mentor to older guys, you are doing you are doing uh, you know very beneficial um, civic engagement. And there's no reason to think that you can't put it down. Like, you know, having having been a rollerblader, I've I've spent all night talking to people who are going to commit suicide that night. Rollerbladers, you know, and and you need you need to find a way to be able to put these things on your resume or be able to explain them to people so that they don't just think you're a bunch of jackasses out there tearing up the paint. I mean. There are very, very real things that we've experienced uh, and, and problems we've overcome and people we've helped. It is community service to be a rollerblader because you're doing all this awesome stuff. Sure, you're drinking and smoking and whatever the whole time. So be it. Who cares? You know, Maybe you are, maybe you're not. There's a lot of people who don't drink and don't smoke. The point is, no matter what, it still deserves to you, – you still deserve credit for it. In, in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And, and, it's, and it's valuable, I think, to point out all those extra dimensions because going back to the schema theory stuff from earlier, we, we see all of that stuff as just being skating or just being rollerblading. But when somebody is going to hire you or not based on whether you've done community service, it's not a really good moment to say, You've been rollerblading with a guy for twenty years, and you and you and you you know took the gun out of his hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be able to get credit for that, and and you don't you you don't need to say that to get credit because all they're looking for is I've been a member of the Austin Rollerblading for fifteen years, and they're like, cool, that's cool. What do you do with Austin Rollerblading? Well, you know, we we try to get you know kids interested in rollerblading, and we try to skate and have fun, and try to stay healthy, and. You know, we drink beer and hang out with our buddies and talk about rollerblading. That's great. That sounds great. When can you start? <laughs> it it's such an obvious thing that um, people don't point out. We're lucky that <laughs> that you've pointed it out because I mean, some people have talked about it, kind of, but not articulating it the way that you just did. How simple it actually is. Um, yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna not get credit for it. I mean, what, what happens, I think, most of the time is people, if they have any interest in you at all or they're interested in something, they'll say, do you have any interest outside of engineering or outside of, 
you know, this particular field or this particular job. And you get people who will say, yeah, well, you know, I rollerblade with my friends. And, and no one on the other side of an interview table is going to know what to make of that. No, not at all. But if you say, I'm, I'm a member of the World Rollerblading Federation of fucking weirdos, like, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's nice that we have the internet and not just, and not just um, battle my crew, but at the same time, you, you lose something tangible when you could say, I was in battle my crew, you know? And it's the same thing with being able to say, I mean, if anybody's interested in doing anything like this, if you've got if you've got a Facebook group where you post for the for your crew to meet up and to post session times and other rollerblading related things, give that group Facebook group a coherent name. Number one, so that you can use it, and number two, so that people can find it. Because no one is going to search on Austin. There, nobody's going to move to Austin and want to find us, and is going to search Austin Blader Gang. <laughs> But what they will, what they might type in is rollerblading Austin, and we'll come up. Yeah, it's always right in front of your face. Those practical and you, things, and you have to get credit for it. You, we've 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 poured like our heart and soul into rollerblading for decades, some of us, and and to 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 be told like you don't get a job because you you're not interesting. And I'm oh. sitting there, I've rollerbladed in thirty fucking countries. You know, I did one time, a, 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 I jumped over a flaming car as the finale of a, of like a crazy church prayer group thing, uh, Bonanza, in front of like 50,000 people. <laughs> like 50,000 people who prayed for me to successfully jump over this car that was set on fire on top of a jump box, right? I did that. And I'm having a guy tell me that I'm not interesting. Oh, man. But I haven't done any interesting community service. And I'm just thinking, I'm not mad at this guy. I'm not mad at him at all. Because what, what I've demonstrated to myself is a failure to communicate who I am to this guy. And I think that that's just as important with, with a postdoc or, or a PhD program or a master's program or an undergraduate program or a job. To be able to say that you're part of a coherent thing that matters a lot to you, that you're good at, you care about it, and, and it helps make you a better citizen. Damn. That's a good endpoint because we're just at two hours. Um, yeah, that's a good place to end it off. And I, I'm sorry. I feel like I kind of went off on a whole, on a whole thing there. No, uh, my my last comment on that is, I mean, someone like yourself who's so good at articulating thoughts and ideas um, that you didn't even see that for how obvious it was. Think of how bad um, a large percentage of rollerbladers are at just talking about rollerblading to people. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's that that that's. I think that would be a good point to talk about maybe in a in a. In one of the one of the um, open letters that I do to rollerblading, and I'd really like to talk to more people to see if anybody's done anything where they've where they, like gotten a job um, and mentioned rollerblading or gotten something I don't know into a into a a, a college or you know anything because you know 
there, there's many more strategies that will have been successful than the ones that I can dream up as hypothetical. Um, and, and I know that other people have done this. It'd just be nice to get all the answers put together in one place and be able to do it like a report, you know, like a feature. Well, I talked to, I talked to Dave in Chicago, and Dave said he did this. And then I talked to, you know, Casey in Florida, and he said this, you know. It would be, it would be really cool to find out if anything has worked. Because I know what I've done and what has worked. Um... And I know what I've done and hasn't worked, um, but it would be nice to have more more info. So if anybody if anybody listening has has any kind of a, 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 a story to to share, I would love to hear it. And if you get in touch with me on Facebook, um, I'd love to talk about it because um, I know that people have these things, and I know that people a lot of people would say that rollerblading has saved their life in one way or another. Yeah. I agree with that. And and so just just knowing that is a fact about rollerblading that people say that it has saved their life. Um that's more than you can say for the group that meets once a week about recycling. You know? <laughs> always excellent points and always enlightening. I'm glad. I'm glad. This was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm. I'm always happy to 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 come on and talk to you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking time. I'm really looking forward to your uh, to your new writing. Yeah, thank you very much. And let's, uh, let's maybe try to do this again sometime soon. Maybe in another month or so. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a regular guest. We've been slacking lately, but there'll be more coming. So I understand. I understand. Summer's coming. Everybody's got to get ready. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, give give your dog the medicine, and hopefully I didn't keep you up too late. No, we're good to go. Thanks okay. so much, Joey. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. Later. Have a good night. You too. Bye.